Welcome, dear friends, to episode one of The Artful Manager. We had thought of calling this series The Skillful Manager, but on reflection we considered that good management to be more than just a toolbox of skills and should acknowledge that everyone will use those same tools in their own personal way. For us, the most successful managers are less like decorators, but more like artists. We've called episode one, taking a good look at yourself in the mirror. Imagine this. You have just settled into your uncomfortable airline seat and the captain has implausibly asked you to sit back and relax. No chance, but wait. The pilot has another announcement. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this is a very proud day for me because I'm looking forward to making my first takeoff and landing. My boss told me that because of my success with managing the technical teams that services our fleet of aircraft, I would make a good pilot. So here I am. I start my training next year, but the boss thought it would be a good idea to throw me in at the deep end and see how I got on. Now, where's the ignition key? They don't let you loose with a couple of hundred passengers and a $30 million aircraft without proper training, a license from the regulatory authorities, and periodic ability checks by your peers. But it does seem okay, and more the norm than not, to give someone a dozen people of mixed abilities, ages and ethnicity, a number of activities complete, uh, processes, procedures, quality standards, a set of team objectives and KPIs, and a budget. Suck it and see. No problem. If you're like the majority of managers, well, you will have had little or no training in the art of management when you first took up your post. All you will have experienced is how your own managers have behaved over the years, which may have been a good example or not. Pilots train and retrain constantly and undergo periodic capability checks. Sadly, the vast majority of managers don't. And yet the story of Captain Sully, the US airline pilot who remarkably safely landed his plane on the Hudson River, is testament to the power of ongoing training and regular checks. My colleagues and I believe that being a manager is a profession in its own right. A competent, successful manager can move between organisations and even industries. But this series is not only for newly appointed managers, but also a refresher for those who've been in post for some time, including those big cheeses at the top of the corporate trees. Hello, I'm John, and together with Rafael Gomez at the University of Toronto and Kevin Money at Henley, we wrote The Little Black Book for Managers, upon which this series is based. In this episode, we will be asking you to stand in front of a mirror, literally, and ask yourself the three most important questions that every manager must ask themselves regularly, although they are equally valid for everyone in life. And we'd ask you to consider asking these same three questions of yourself every time you see your own reflection. We hope it'll become a new habit. And we're not telling, we are asking. So, when you're ready. Question one, what is my job? Now, most people, although not all, will have a job description. Have you checked yours recently to see if you're covering everything that you should be? I have to confess, I never did in my management positions, and I guess 99% of managers don't. Job descriptions are written really before you start interviewing candidates and I suspect nearly all of them are not updated regularly. 
nor, disappointingly, are they modified after a person has been appointed to capture the, the essence of that person. Because everybody has their pluses and minuses. Wouldn't it be brilliant if the job description is then massaged subsequently to the appointment, manipulated to give greater prominence to those individual pluses and less to the minuses? During this episode, we will offer you what we strongly believe are the three main responsibilities of all managers, irrespective of their industry or seniority. To get started, I'd like you to think of the combined performance of you and your team over the past six months or so, and imagine just for a moment that everything has gone perfectly. You've got all the right people, their work is perfect, you've improved productivity, and set new standards for interfacing with other teams and other departments. Relationships are better than they've ever been. Recognition, awards and money has flowed generously in your direction. And when you arrive first thing in the morning, your people stand and applaud you. OK, that may be a bit of a stretch, I know, but I want you to allocate a mark of 100% to that perfect performance. Now next, I want you to think about how you have actually performed. You, how have you performed? Your people, how have they performed? What have been your relationships like with other teams? Perhaps a new recruit has joined, or an experienced performer left. Has someone been working remotely and experienced difficulties with the technology? Has the work pattern been properly coordinated between team members? Have there been any problems with the team's output, any delays, any criticisms from other teams? I'd like you to regurgitate everything that's happened in your mind and give your actual performance a mark relative to the previous 100%. So where are you? Actually, it doesn't matter where you are in the 80s or in the 30s, but it does matter that you consult with your team and agree a figure together. Then you'll have a baseline, a foundation upon which you and your team can work together and you and I can work together, as I'm now going to tell you your primary job as a manager. It is to increase that mark by 1% and as soon as you have achieved it, by the next 1%. Ask your team regularly for their input, weekly or monthly, but declaring and agreeing the mark means that you can now start to chart your progress, both up and occasionally down. Keep a visible record for everyone to see, and I'm confident that progress will soon be obvious. And don't worry if it does go down sometimes because of, of simple mistakes or misunderstandings or indeed a change in your responsibilities. Just work on the next 1% together with your team. Now, I've asked this question literally thousands of times to managers over the years when my colleagues and I were delivering development programs, and the average of all groups that I've met has been about 65%. So there's been plenty of room for improvement. So where are you to look for this extra 1%? That's what my colleagues and I will be talking about during the following episodes. And we shall keep referring back to this extra 1%. Excellent. So what comes next on your real job description? To achieve the same output to the same standards, but with fewer resources. Now, in order to do that, you need to know the cost of running your team. How much do you and your people cost? There's payroll 
there's pensions, there's tax, there's a lot of things to think about. Throw everything in and calculate the cost of your team. Next, what's the cost of your footprint in the building or buildings? How many square feet do you occupy? And then, what is your share, your percentage of the rent, the rates, the energy consumption, the maintenance of the buildings? Throw it all in. How much? Then technology. What equipment are you using? What software? What's the depreciation of the hardware? How much do your licenses cost? Add it all up, and I suspect you'll be staggered at the actual figure. Obviously, you will need to team up with a kind and helpful colleague in finance, as they are the custodians of all the figures. Brief your team on what you have discovered, and it's then time for everyone to think about where savings could be made. There is no rush, but encourage your colleagues to bring you a suggestion or two next time you get together. Numbers are changing all the time, of course, with, especially with inflation, so update your finances uh, regularly, perhaps once or twice a year. And please remember that you must maintain the same standard as before. And finally, your third and last item on your real job description. You need to make yourself redundant. Now that may sound a little strange at first, but you need to get your team performing with such precision, such coordination, and particularly with a high degree of self-monitoring that they spot where change needs to happen before you do, and then action it. They manage themselves. And without your regular interruptions and words of wisdom, morale will improve, performance will increase, and staff turnover will decrease. Stepping gradually away further and further from the, the steering wheel will give you more opportunity to think about your next step, moving on to bigger challenges and reaping the rewards from your concentration, diligence and managerial craft. So to summarise, the thinking time of the artful manager is consumed by three objectives. Getting an extra 1% in performance, testing ideas for making economies so that you can reduce the consumption of resources, and finally by asking the team to take on more decision making and responsibility themselves, thereby making yourself redundant. Still looking in the mirror, question two. What example am I setting? You are the most important factor in determining how well your team performs. Every time you look into a mirror, ask yourself if you are setting the right example. Now, I know you've heard this many, many times before, but I can't emphasize enough the absolutely crucial necessity of living and breathing the behavior that you want to see in others. For example, are you first in and last out, like Sir Alex Ferguson at Manchester United? Do you walk and carry yourself with confidence, even though you may lack it? Do you smile often and get a matching smile in return? Everyone picks up on the messages that your body and your face is sending every second. You are an aerial, permanently transmitting signals that everyone sees and interprets. By contrast, your words count for far less. How often do you hear the phrase, oh, could you say that again? So don't worry too much about what words you speak. Concentrate more about on what your body is saying. Watch and listen to the signals that other managers are transmitting. Notice how they behave around others. Notice how happy their team is. 
If some teams are happy and others not, it's down to the manager. Happy teams get things done. Some managers tell, better ones ask. Compare yourself to them. Start copying those characteristics of happy team managers, those that get results, which may mean that you may need to act out of your comfort zone if necessary. And now, please don't tell me that you are you, you need to be authentic and, and what you see is what you get, because if you really do believe that, then you are so limiting your potential. Authenticity doesn't mean you always have to behave exactly the same way in every situation, but rather that your motives are genuine. Successful managers who get the most from their teams are like, are like chameleons. They adjust their language. They adjust their behavior and attitude to whoever is in front of them, encouraging those who may lack a little confidence, congratulating those who've done a good job, ideally in person or over the phone or leaving a handwritten post-it on their desk. Showing frustration or anger is certainly counterproductive. You always have to appear to be in control of yourself. You are the one who has to move away from your natural non-manager behaviour to deliver what's needed by your team. Now, some years ago, sitting in a railway carriage at Cambridge Station, I was joined by Bob Satchwell, sadly now deceased and sorely missed. At the time, he was the executive director of the Society of Editors in the UK, a community of newspaper and media editors. Always ready to pick the brains of others, I asked, who's the best leader you've met in your world, Bob? His answer, Piers Morgan. I asked him to explain. He said, I read all of the papers every day and I can tell by the way the articles are written what sort of mood the editor was in yesterday. Was he upbeat and positive, radiating sunshine? Or was he morose, annoyed, irritable? Piers comes out well. I was amazed, not about Piers, but that the keystrokes of journalists could be affected by the editor walking past. Incredible. Now, you are under the microscope every second. Imagine your mood to be a virus. You infect people with it, and they, in turn, infect, infect others. Control your emotions. Don't let anyone else control them. You are in charge of you. You decide whether you are happy or sad. No one else. It sounds simple, I know, but imagine yourself rudely cut up by another motorist. Do you go for the horn or the finger or both? Or do you remain relaxed and stay as content and happy as you were before his or her manoeuvre? A couple of years ago, Adelic gave me this example. John, on the day that I was due to fly here for the programme, I knew that I was going to be a bit tight for time because of work commitments. This meant I only had a short time for dinner before leaving home for the airport. So. I phoned my wife and asked her to have dinner ready for when I got home and not to wait until I arrived before starting to prepare it. I finished my meeting and got home to find that my wife had not started dinner. She made me so angry. Having listened to you and my colleagues on this programme, I now admit I made myself angry. It's so easy, isn't it? 
to blame other people or events. The best managers look in the mirror. I mentioned Manchester United a moment or two ago, and I find, I find sports teams interesting because their global fame comes from their successes as a team on the field of play. But for me, it is the manager who is the success, not the club. Does a change of manager maintain the same club success rate? Rarely. It's the manager, not the club, who is successful. Non-performing manager, non-performing club. Successful manager, well, you get the idea. Same in the corporate world, which means in your organisation, it's you. So do you treat everyone on your team the same? Do some of your team believe you have a favourite who you treat slightly differently to the majority? It doesn't matter if you think you deal with everyone equally, it matters that your colleagues genuinely believe it. If you regularly ask one person for their opinion before asking for others, you are shooting yourself in the foot, as everyone in the world feels a, a prime need to be treated fairly. And if they don't feel it, morale suffers and performance declines. But more than treating colleagues fairly, you have to be seen to be treating them fairly. So beware the impact of your decisions. You may have to sit down with some team members and carefully explain why you've made the decision you did in order for you to avoid, oh, it's not fair, made aside and out of earshot. In the trailer, I ask you to think about a couple of things. Firstly, I ask you to identify a few managers, four or five or so, ideally male and female, that you've known over recent years. Now, you may have worked for them directly or not, it doesn't matter, as I want you to think about the positives and negatives of their personalities and characteristics, but most specifically about their attitudes and behaviours. What was their body language telling you? What kind of example did they set? What was it about them that made them effective? On the other hand, what was it about them that you thought they could have changed, adjusted, to better suit your personality and character? How engaged were you with the aims and objectives of the team? Now compare yourself to them. What are the qualities in you that you want to, to magnify, to improve? What characteristics do you think might be holding you back from getting the best out of others. Have a think now, but make a few notes when you get the chance. Then I ask you to think about how your team might describe you, your personality, your attitudes, your behaviours, the example you set. If you haven't asked them, I think it would be very worthwhile for you to do so, because you will receive some feedback, important feedback, which will help you to understand where your focus should be. So to summarise our second question for you, you cannot spend too much time looking in the mirror. Every time you wash your hands, look up and ask yourself, what messages have I been sending, knowingly and unknowingly? Reflect on your behaviour over the previous hour or two. What did you do deliberately to set the right example? Did you tell more often than ask? Did you make a decision which could have been delegated? Did you make a decision which others could possibly interpret as unfair? You lead by example whether you like it or not, so it's imperative that your deeds match your words precisely. 
I mean, you would criticise someone, wouldn't you, who said one thing and did another. Your behaviour must reflect your values and principles. Setting a good example consistently is very hard, but it is your number one priority. Good luck. Question 3. Am I spending my time intelligently? Every manager needs to operate as well as manage, but all too often the operating trumps the managing, particularly when deadlines are looming. But too much operating means that you won't have enough thinking time during work and will probably have to find time outside of work to plan and organise the days and weeks ahead to schedule and allocate the work between team members, to arrange cover for those who have reported sick or shortly going on maternity leave but most importantly to start reflecting and acting on the recommendations we ask you to consider during this series. Think about it like this. You're a lumberjack, an operator of a chainsaw that all day cuts down trees, operating. By comparison, if you're managing the forest, you regularly climb into your helicopter to view where to deploy your lumberjacks. You assess the area they've cleared. Have you hit the milestones? You look at the area remaining. Will you hit the final deadline or target? Do you need more or fewer lumberjacks? And with the seasons changing, do you need to change their work pattern or hours or pay? Do you have enough backup components or spare chainsaws in case of some malfunction? And most importantly, is there an emergency procedure and medical help nearby if one of your lumberjacks cuts off their own leg? And when needs must, you have to fill in as an extra lumberjack when your vast experience is needed on a particularly dangerous tree or situation. That's managing. My colleagues and I feel that many managers make the mistake of thinking that they need to be busy, or seem to be busy. Spinning many plates in the air is either their duty or a sign of their importance to the organisation, but we question that assumption. Sometimes hyperactivity may mask a lack of confidence in themselves, or their people, or both. Now you know how lawyers and some other professionals charge for their time. We ask you to start thinking the same way. Consider keeping a small notepad with you for a typical period, perhaps a week or so, and regularly record what you're doing and why you are doing it. And when you've got the complete record in front of you, ask yourself if that seems to you to be the right balance. Or perhaps you think the division of time between activities could have been a lot more productive. I always remember this phrase that I heard many moons ago. Invest your time, don't spend it. Don't let the urgent crowd out the important. Now everyone, including me, has a start doing list. We ask you to consider also having a stop doing list. Give yourself more time. I remember a time running a sales and marketing team that every month we compiled a report on our activities and sent it up the line. And in it was a win-loss report which detailed the successful bids we'd made and the proposals and those for which we were beaten by our competitors. We explained why we thought the result went the way it did. One month, I was reviewing our draft submission and asked the compiler if anyone had ever come back to us and asked for more detail on this win-loss report. No one had. So I said, delete it. 
He was a little nervous about changing the format of what we were required to do, but for that month we submitted a slightly smaller report, and you've guessed it, no one noticed and nothing happened. We started on other elements the following month. Someone somewhere is trying to disrupt, dismantle, or make your entire team redundant. We ask you to consider thinking along those same lines as a way of prioritizing your time and your effort. Your top three time stealers are people, email texting, and meetings. Let's have a brief look at those in turn. Some of your people do need more attention than others. Their personality may require them to get a regular, hey, good job, from you, to confirm that what they're doing is correct. Whatever the reason, be guarded with your time. You need to work fully charged. Your team, other teams, bosses, all plug into your battery and drain away both your time and your energy. We ask you to consider challenging those individuals that consume a disproportionate amount of both. But you can do it in a constructive way. For example, Hey, Betty, um, look, I'm conscious that we interact frequently, and although I value the time I spend with you, I would like to understand from your perspective why that is. Now, I'm asking because I've got some major work projects coming up shortly, and I may not be able to give you as much time as usual, and I'm sorry. Some bosses may need more of your time and attention than you consider appropriate. Some of them may be micromanagers involving themselves in as much detail of what you're doing that they send this message to you in effect. I don't trust you. Time, possibly for you to say, um, excuse me, John, may I, may I just take a moment? May I raise an issue with you, please? Look, because of your frequent requests for update on our progress, the, de the detail that you want us to go into, I just get the feeling that I that I could do more to make you feel more comfortable with what we're doing. What is it about me or my work that makes you feel, I don't know, a little uneasy? What can I do to improve our relationship? Emails and texts always demand attention, even when it's not merited. You quickly scan an incoming tome, your attention suffers, and it takes a few moments to recollect your thoughts and make more progress on the job in hand. For important thinking time, perhaps you could go for a walk round the block and deliberately forget to take your phone with you. Sometimes you do need to be disciplined. I can't remember any meeting, including the ones that I called, that have been worthwhile or valuable. I know of one very successful manager who often asked a colleague to call him out of any meeting after about 10-15 minutes or so, as something urgent required his attention. And of course you can always ask if you could send a deputy in your place as a way of helping their development. And when it comes to utilising your time most efficiently, challenge your own tendency to say yes too often. You can always do so politely. Of course, I'd love to help. As soon as I finish this project, I'll be right with you. Take a moment now to think about who your top three time stealers are. One of the biggest threats to your team's motivation and enjoyment comes when you personally have a little little gap in your workload and you decide to go walkabout. Interrupt, check progress, 
add a little bit of what you think is value, but rarely is. Talk about, I don't know, last night's sports game or the latest blockbuster. Please consider going for another walk instead. Let them get on with your work. How much time do you think you should spend thinking about your real job, the morale, the happiness of your colleagues? The conflict between operating and managing is ever-present, doing or thinking. What do you believe is the optimal division of your time at work over, say, a week? 90% doing, 10% thinking? The reverse, 50-50? Now, of course, it will change from day to day, but at the end of the week, it may prove worthwhile for you to take stock and calculate the number of minutes or hours that you devoted solely to your most important job your own self-development and your team's performance. And we bet that it won't be enough. Please let us know how you get on. Email us anytime. To summarise our time together today, we've asked you to consider standing in front of a mirror regularly and asking yourself three questions. Question one, am I doing my real job? Question two, Am I setting the right example with my body language and face? Question three, am I spending my time intelligently? Thank you for listening. We wish you well on your journey.